0: Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Maybe you wonder why we call it Bible Crossfire. Well, it could have something to do with this verse, which I think explains uh, a lot of why we do what we do on this program. It's Jude verse three. God writes there, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and earn Exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We are to contend for the faith, for what the New Testament law, the law of Christ says. And so there's not anything wrong if we have discussion on this program and we differ and we're contending for the faith. If somebody teaches, for example, calls this program and says gay marriage is okay, we're going to try to point out to him from the Bible how that gay marriage is sinful or that women preachers is okay or that once saved, always saved is true or that you don't have to be baptized to be saved or that it's okay to divorce and remarriage and you can stay in that second or third marriage that's called adulterous by Jesus in Matthew nineteen 9. We're going to contend for the faith because that's what God commands us to do. It's not really a negative thing. Uh, it's a, It's the thing that we're supposed to do If somebody is not teaching the truth, we're to do it in a kind and gentle way. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. We're to do it out of love, but we're supposed to speak the truth. We're supposed to be first pure, then peaceable. Peaceable is something we really strive for, but first we have to be pure. You can't have peace. You can't have unity on something that's false. You have to contend for the faith and have unity on the truth because only the truth will set us free. I'm saying. sin. John 8, verse 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Last week, we were talking about, well, we started off talking about how everybody, I think, who listens to this program is probably familiar with the fact that the United Methodist Church is in the middle of a split on homosexuality and gay marriage. And uh, most churches are going to stick with the United Methodist Church, and their position is going to be that gay marriage is okay. Quite a few churches, though, especially in the South, are breaking away from the United Methodist Church because they're not going to go along with that teaching. They're going to hold to what the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin. And so they're breaking away either to start their own denomination, which is like the United Methodist Church but differs on that point, or perhaps just become completely independent. And we were mentioning some quotes from the Presbyterian Church USA that shows This progression of churches that used to stand against homosexuality and gay marriage, they used to stand for the truth, and that have compromised. Here's what the official position of this Presbyterian church was in 1978. Homosexuality is not God's wish for humanity. On the basis of our understanding that the practice of homosexuality is sin, we're concerned that homosexual believers... And the observing world should not be left in doubt about the church's mind on this issue during any further period of study. So in 1978, and that would mean also in 1878 and 1778, this particular branch of the Presbyterian church stood staunchly opposed to homosexuality. It's a sin. It's not God's wish for humanity. But then we also read last week what they said in 1991, which is 13 years later. The church, talking about this Presbyterian church USA, should... Quote, reevaluate its definition of sin to reflect the changing mores of society. The church has sounded a call for widening the circle of the faithful with gays, lesbians, and heterosexual singles who practice safe sex. We feel that marriage is not what legitimates sexual gratification. So they said homosexuality is a sin in 1978. So did a bunch of other churches at the time. But in 1991, they're saying we're going to reevaluate our definition of sin so that now we're going to say gay sex is okay, lesbian sex is okay. Then we go fast forward 19 more years to 2010. Presbyterian leaders as talking about this same church voted to allow non-celibate gays in committed relationships to serve as clergy, approving the first of two policy changes that could make their church one of the most gay-friendly major Christian denominations in the US. Several major Christian denominations have voted in recent years to allow non-celibate gays to serve as clergy if they are in committed relationships. Among them are the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And so 1991, 1978, they're staunchly opposed to homosexuality. 1991, they're saying, no, that's okay to have gay sex. This same Presbyterian Church in 2010 says, not only that, we're going to allow them to be preachers in our denomination. And then 2015 reads this way. The Presbyterian Church made an historic decision to formally recognize gay marriage and allow same-sex couples to marry in its congregation. The, de- the denomination voted to redefine the church's constitutional marriage to include a commitment between two people. So now they're not only saying being gay is okay, gay sex is okay. They're not only saying it's okay to be a, you can be gay and be a preacher in our denomination, but we're going to have gay wedding ceremonies in our denomination. What do you think would have happened if the Presbyterian church leadership had in 1978 said, gay sex is okay, we're going to have gay preachers and gay wedding ceremonies in our church buildings, there would have been a mass exodus of the church. Probably over 95% of the church would have left. But because the sin was brought in so gradually, many people did not even notice the change. It, It reminds me of that old preacher's illustration. You stick a frog in a hot frying pan, burns him. He jumps right hops right out of there. You stick him in a cold frying pan, then you gradually heat that frying pan up on the stove. Sometimes the frog won't notice the gradual heating up, and he'll sit in that frying pan until he cooks to death. If you bring in sin real gradually, people just don't notice it. And that's what's happened with many churches. I remember growing up, I was born in 1961. I didn't know anybody that was gay. Maybe somebody in a third world country was gay. I could read about it in the Bible, but was there anybody that was like that? Boy, was I in for a rude awakening. First, Hollywood accepted it, then the world. And then, starting in about the year 2000, even churches have accepted it. And we just saw an example from the Episcopal Church, the, the Presbyterian Church. Let's notice another verse. We read a couple of verses showing this is sinful activity, gay sex, last week. Let's read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Do you not know, and this is from the New King James Version, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, neither homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He can't make it any clearer than that. Here he's going to talk about people who are unrighteous. They'll not inherit the kingdom of God. He gives a list of these people who are unrighteous. He says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. includes fornicators, adulterers, drunkards, people who worship idols, homosexuals, and sodomites. You have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877 655 6755. The lines are wide open. If you want to get on the air, give us your Bible question or comment. We're going to contend for the faith. Jude verse 3 877 655 6755. You wonder what those two words are. Why is there two different words there? This Greek word translated homosexual, King James, it says effeminate. It's talking about the stereotypical gay man, acts like a sissy. very feminine, like in that gay relationship, and I'm going to get crude here, he's the one that gets on bottom and allows himself to be abused in that sexual relationship. The word sodomites is the Greek word. In the King James Version, is translated abusers of themselves with mankind. That's the one who maybe could have even played football when he was growing up. He doesn't act like a sissy. He gets on top and abuses the other fella. Both types of gay men are condemned in this passage, and it's very clear. People ask me, well, can they be forgiven? Well, yeah, like here we have drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Suppose a person is a drunkard. He, he's not going to heaven. But if he repents of being a drunkard, if he quits drinking, if he repents and receives forgiveness, this verse is not talking about him, him anymore. He's not a drunkard. If a homosexual repents and quits being a homosexual and gets forgiveness, then he's not a homosexual anymore. So he's not going to be lost because of that. Of course, just like any other sin against, except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, you can be forgiven if you're willing to repent of that sin. Again, if you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. This next quote is from the Birmingham News, 2003. Right down here in the Bible Belt, near me, it says, The Episcopal Church approved its first openly gay bishop, the Reverend Gene Robinson. Robinson replied, We have many times departed from Scripture. Robinson cited the examples of ordaining women priests and accepting divorce in the church as departures. Then he says, and I quote, just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. We, the argument here is basically two wrongs make a right. We've been allowing women preachers and divorce for years and their departures from Scripture. So why can't we allow homosexuality even though it's a departure from Scripture? Pretty Bad reasoning. When they realized they had been accepting divorce and women preachers against what the Scriptures say through the years, they should have changed and quit accepting that. But instead they said, we're going to be consistent and start accepting homosexuality, even though that's against the Scripture. They say just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. So it's so bad, not only are they changing and compromising, they're admitting they don't follow the Scriptures anymore. They're not following the scriptures, even according to their own admission. Didn't the Presbyterian church do the same thing when they said, we need to reevaluate our definition of sin to reflect the changing mores of society? In other words, if, 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 if the society says homosexuality is wrong, we're going to stand against it. But if society now has changed and said it's right, we're going to say it's okay. Their definition of sin has nothing to do with scripture. It has to do with what society says. Maybe you're part of a church that doesn't really use the Bible As their authority. Instead, they use what society says as to determine right and wrong. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. Here's another quote from the Washington Post in 2020. Leaders said they had agreed to allow the United Methodist Church to permit same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy for the first time in its history. They're admitting they're changing. We're going to allow this for the first time in our history. We're going to permit same-sex marriage in the United Methodist Church, and that's what is leading to this division we started the program off talking about. And they're going to allow LGBT clergy, lesbian, gay, bisexual. Can you imagine somebody that looks like Bruce Jenner, who's really a man pretending to be a woman, dressing like a woman, putting on lipstick and makeup? Thinking of himself as a woman getting up to preach where the church where you go. I don't know about you, but if that happened where I went, I'd probably hightail it out of there as quick as I could. Maybe I'd come back later and try to say, this is wrong. The Bible teaches against this. We can't allow people preaching from the pulpit or transgender or lesbian or gay, things like that. But these are churches, audience. These are churches that are doing this. If you're a church, it's supposed to mean the Bible's our authority and we're going to follow the Bible. Doesn't mean that anymore, does it? Maybe you're a part of a church that doesn't really use the Bible as their authority. Instead, they say, What will bring in the most people? Or what do we think is best? Or what's politically correct? It's always right to follow the Bible. And if you're not following the Bible, if you change and start following the Bible, that's super great. But it's always wrong for one who's following the Bible to compromise and quit following the Bible. And that's what my estimate is about. 50% of congregations across the United States and Canada have compromised and now allow gay marriage. It's totally against what the Bible says and people are just going along with it who claim to be Christians. Now, here's what the last point I want to get to tonight. That's not the only thing people are compromising on. That's the one maybe a lot are focused on now, but a lot of churches have changed Maybe they changed on homosexuality, or maybe they hadn't. But some of the churches that haven't have changed on other issues. For example, I think the issue that led to churches compromising on homosexual marriages was churches compromising on adulterous marriages. Well, Pat, what do you mean by an adulterous marriage? Well, let's let Jesus define that in Matthew 19.9. Jesus said there, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. I've been married to Carol for 35 years. Let me illustrate the teaching of this verse. If Carol were to cheat on me sexually with another man, Jesus has given me the right to put her away, to divorce her for that reason, and marry again without committing adultery. But if she doesn't cheat on me, no matter what sin she commits, and any sin she commits is sin, and she needs to repent of it, but no matter what sin she commits, I can't divorce her for that. If I divorce her for any other reason other than her committing fornication, then God does not approve of the divorce. And if I marry again, he calls the second marriage. Let's call that Lady Betty. He calls my marriage to Betty adultery. Now, here's the issue that people have compromised on. If you go back hundred years ago, every church would have said, if you do that, if you want to repent, receive forgiveness for that. If you want to be in right standing in this church, you got to quit that adultery. you got to repent of it. I mean, you got to get out of the marriage with Betty and seek reconciliation with Carol. You can't stay in an adulterous marriage and still be considered right with God. I mean, that makes sense. If you have two gay men who are married, can they just say, I'm sorry, forgive me, God, but oh, by the way, I'm going to stay in this homosexual marriage? Of course not. Everybody can see that's wrong. Well, why would it be any different for adulterous marriages? Why can somebody just say they're sorry ask God to forgive him, and oh, by the way, God, I plan to keep committing adultery with this woman, but forgive me anyway. How can people think that will work? Yet my estimate is about 95% of the churches across our land have compromised on this. 100 years ago, none of them believed it. They all stood where the Bible stands, that if you do that, divorce your wife for any reason other than fornication and marry another, you're in adultery, and if you want to be saved and go to heaven, you've got to get out of that second marriage, that adultery, Seek reconciliation with your original spouse. Every church believed that 100 years ago. They gradually compromised, just like the Presbyterian church did on gay marriage. Gradually compromised, and now probably less than 5% stand for the truth on that. Perhaps the church you're a part of allows that. Perhaps you're listening in, and you're in a second or third marriage that Jesus calls adultery, according to passages like Matthew 19, 9 and other passages. You can't go to heaven like that. Revelation 21, verse 8 says, The sexually immoral shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. I mean, the r- verse we just read in First Corinthians 6, verse 19 says, Adulterers and fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It wouldn't matter if you thought of yourself as a Christian or not. This verse is talking to anybody. If they're a fornicator, if they're an adulterer, if you're in a second or third marriage that violates Matthew 19:9, 9, you didn't divorce your spouse for fornication before you remarried. Then... This verse, First Corinthians six nine and ten says, "You will not inherit the kingdom of God." It's that simple. It Maybe easier said than done, but Matthew nineteen nine is really not that unclear. Did the churches, and I'm saying ninety five percent of them did, did they have a right to compromise on adulterous marriages? No, not any more than the Presbyterian Church had a right to compromise on gay marriages. That's pretty simple, easy to understand. But are we willing to stand for the truth on it? You remember John the Baptist. In Mark 6, Herod had divorced his wife, Herodias had divorced her husband, now they're married. John the Baptist said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her, demanding that he terminate the marriage to get out of that adulterous relationship. What happened to John the Baptist? He lost his head. Mark 6, 17 through 27. He lost his head because he was willing to stand for the truth on divorce and remarriage in his day while the Old Testament was still binding. Yet we have preachers today who are not willing to stand for the truth on what the New Testament says about divorce and remarriage because they're afraid they might lose a few members or might lose some contribution. Totally different the courage between preachers today and John the Baptist. People are not willing to stand for the truth on gay marriage or adulterous marriages, and they stand or fall together. How about infant baptism? Let's look at that very quickly. Returning to Acts chapter eight, and if you have a Bible question or comment, I want you to give me a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Here's Acts eight thirty five through thirty seven. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Philip is preaching Jesus to the unit. Uh, preaching Jesus Jesus must include talking about baptism because the unit wants to be baptized. Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Mayest what? Mayest be baptized. Well, if God says if you believe you may be baptized, that would imply that if you don't believe, you may not be baptized, right? What does that say about infant baptism? Unscriptural. Yet, the majority of churches, no church had infant baptism in the very beginning 2,000 years ago, but the majority of churches practice something that is called or is akin to infant baptism, in spite of the fact that the Bible says, if you believe, you may, you may be baptized. They compromise, just like the churches that have compromised on gay marriage. Am I right? How about Acts 20, verse 7, and the frequency of the Lord's Supper? And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continue to speak until midnight. Here we have the disciples come together. looks like for a church service to break bread. Paul's preaching to them. Well, what do you do when you break bread at a church service? That's going to be talking about the Lord's Supper. What day do they do it on? First day of the week. How often does the first day of the week roll around? Every week. Now, the Catholics used to believe that. I can send you a quote that showed how they thought it was, should be done every Sunday but they decided to switch and change to every day. Many denominational churches have changed and now do it once a month or once every three months. Either way, it doesn't sound like to me they're following this inspired example as carefully as they ought to. Do churches have a right just to change the frequency of the Lord's Supper to once a month or once every three months from this once a week, which we see in Acts 20 verse seven? I don't think they do. Not anymore they have a right to change on gay marriage, do they? Again, if you have a Bible question or comment, just turn off the Super Bowl and give me a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. Another major compromise is the churches that teach that a Christian cannot fall from grace, that that's impossible. That's so strange. It's about every page of the Bible has a verse or two that conclusively proves once saved, always saved is false. There's not a single passage that teaches it. It's all wishful thinking. We want to be able to live any way we want to and still be saved. So we're going to teach once saved, always saved, even though there's no verses that teach it. And dozens, probably hundred, more than a hundred passages teach against it. Here's one, Galatians 5, 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Well, I thought the Baptist church said it was impossible to fall from grace. This verse says these people, because they were trying to bind the old law, had fallen from grace. How could they fall from grace if that was impossible? You know, you can't fall from a tree unless you're in a tree. These people had fallen from grace. They were in grace. They fell from grace. They were in grace. They were saved. They fell from grace. They were lost. The Bible teaches against once they've always saved over and over and over again, but churches have compromised on this just like on gay marriage because they want to live the way they want to live and still think of themselves as being saved. If you want to give me a call, Bible question, or a comment, 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open, 877-655-6755. One more issue, the issue of women preachers. I'm turning to 1 Corinthians 14. Now, nobody's saying it's wrong for a woman to teach a lady's Bible class. But when the churches come together, like on Sunday morning, they usually start out with what's called the Sunday school classes. These Bible classes based upon different age groups. They're in different places. But when they all come together into one place, and I'm borrowing that terminology from chapter 14, verse 23, they, they all come together in one place in the church service at the end of the Bible class time. They're all in one place. Can a woman deliver the sermon under that scenario? Let me read 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. That's so clear, I can't think of a passage that's any clearer on any subject than this passage is on against women preachers. He says three times, let your women keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted unto them to speak. It's a shame for women to speak in the church. Yet I'm told about 75% of churches across the United States and Canada allow women to preach from the pulpit. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think so many allow it when this passage is so clearly against it? It's not the only passage that's against it. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 is also against it. Why is it that so many allow it 75% when this is, it's not because the Bible's hard to understand. There's nothing ambiguous about this verse. I think it's because people have quit Using the Bible as their authority. We're going to do what brings in the most people. We're going to do what we think is best. We're going to do what's politically correct. Don't you think it's politically correct to allow women to speak from the pulpit? Of course it is. So churches have quit doing what God says to do, and they're going to start doing what they think is best. That's not going to cut it. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof the ways of death. It may seem right to us to allow gay marriage, or divorce and adulterous marriages, or infant baptism, or once every month, Lord's Supper, or teach that once saved, always saved is true, or to allow women preachers. That may seem right to us, but since they violate what the scriptures say, the end thereof is the ways of death. We need to think about what we're doing in our service to God. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus. A lot of people claim to be his disciples. But Jesus said in John 8, 31, you're my disciples, you're my true disciples, if you continue in my word. And you shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Only the truth will set us free from sin. If you would like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, I'm more than willing to do it, call or text me at 256-682-9753. Free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience. Call or text me at 256-682-9753. 256-682-9753. Be sure and listen next week at this same time to Bible Crossfire.